This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. Words of integration and guidance from William Paul Young. Relationship has always been the wild card, the court jester who appears in the midst of our human human agenda and our hallucinations of independent self-sufficiency, revealing by any means that the emperor is naked. When you even skim the edges of relationship, you submit to mystery and lose control. Marriage would be so much easier if there wasn't another person involved, but then it would be meaningless too. Relationships are entwined, entrenched, elusive, messy, enabling, and rapturing, maddeningly exhilarating, frustrating, exposing, and too beautiful for words. There are moments when we think we might finally have a whisper of control over our world, and then whoosh, in comes someone who knocks it completely sideways. Yet it is relationship that provides the backdrop and framing for the art of our lives, apart from which our colors would simply disperse into the darkness, formless, and void, awaiting the hovering of the spirit to collect them, and with her shades and hues, breathe into us, breathe into us to set them free. A reading of scripture from Romans 8, 12-17. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If in fact we suffer with them so that we may also be glorified with them. Hear what the spirit is saying to the church. The Holy Gospel according to John 3, 1 to 17. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, You must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? 
Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but might have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Well, as I said earlier, it is Trinity Sunday. And of course, the Trinity is always a challenge to sort of get our heads around, isn't it? feels like a math problem that just doesn't quite work right. One plus one plus one equals one. It's said uh, that in his day, St. Patrick was once traveling and he came upon some Irish chieftains and they asked him about his strange new religion. And bending down in the meadow they were in, he picked up uh, clover or a shamrock, and he said, this represents the God I believe in, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three aspects of one thing, right? Just like there's three leaves to this one little plant. And I think, of course, that's why four-leaf clovers are so lucky, because you get a bonus Jesus. Probably not true. <laughs> but we try these different analogies, right? To try to grapple and grasp with something that seems almost beyond our mind's ability to comprehend. And for a long time, I think we've made uh, the point of being a Christian uh, whether or not you can believe some really hard-to-believe things. But perhaps a doctrine like this is not just something for us to take at face value and say yes or no to but an invitation to explore something deeper. And when we're talking about God, we are necessarily entering into mystery. We're entering into mystery. And so in our text, Nicodemus approaches Jesus at night. And there's probably a decent chance that he goes in at night because he doesn't want to see, to allow the other Pharisees to see him. Right? Jesus is not exactly a popular guy among the Pharisees. And so if he wants to approach Jesus, not in order to confront or oppose him, but to ask questions and to be a seeker, he figures going at night is my best bet. But I also wonder if going at night signifies that Nicodemus is in the dark about a few things that perhaps he hopes Jesus can enlighten him on. And perhaps we can relate to being in the dark when we think about our subject matter, such as today. 
And because the Trinity is such a tough topic, I'm going to lean on our good friend Richard Rohr and his fantastic book, uh, The Divine Dance. If anybody's had a chance to read this, I'd really recommend it. Uh, written by Richard Rohr along with Mike Morell. So we're going to lean on this a little bit today. And Rohr notes that we can only use metaphor when we talk about God. We can only use metaphor when we talk about God. And the Greek word metaphor means to carry across. To carry across. So it's trying to get us from here over to here. And so metaphors are very helpful that way. But he also knows that metaphors tend to walk with a limp. They walk with a limp. In other words, they can get us there, but they're not perfect. Right? If we press a metaphor too hard or put too much weight on it, it might begin to break down. Well, Jesus is trying to help Nicodemus and us, I think, move from a religion of rules and concepts and doctrines and rigidity to something that is much more beautiful and more flowing and alive. And he uses metaphor to do that. And so he says that we won't see the kingdom of God unless we are born from above. Or another way to render that is born again. And of course, Nicodemus, not quite catching the metaphor, takes it literally and says, what do you mean? How can I be born a second time? I'm already here. I'm not going to go back into my mother's womb. I, I can't imagine he's even saying that, right? It's a ridiculous thing to imagine. And yet he asks it. But Jesus says, we won't see the kingdom of God unless we are born from above. And I think what Jesus is doing is inviting us into relationship into what we might call utter relationship. And true relationship means vulnerability and dependency. Things we don't always like and celebrate in our culture. Vulnerability and dependency. And if we think about a newborn, it's just laying there, right? Naked, defenseless, vulnerable. It is absolutely dependent on relationship to survive, right? It requires relationship to survive. And so Jesus says we must become like that. We must become born anew, or as he says elsewhere, we must become as little children to see or to enter into the kingdom of God. Naked vulnerability, Roar says, means I'm going to allow you to influence me. I'm going to allow you to change me. story is told of a farmer who decided it was time he got married. And so he saddled his mule and set off for the city to find himself a wife. And in time, he met a woman that he thought would make a good wife, and they were married. And after the ceremony, they both climbed onto the mule, and they started back for the farm. And after a while, the mule stopped, and it refused to move. So the farmer dismounted the mule and beat it with a huge stick until it started moving again. That's one, said the farmer. Well, some miles later, the mule stopped again, and the farmer again dismounted and beat the mule until it started to move again. That's two, said the mule. Or, said the farmer. <laughs> I think my story's confused. And a few, a few miles later, the mule stopped a third time. And this time, the farmer got down, got his wife down, took out his pistol and shot the mule in the head, killing it. 
You stupid, cruel man, shouted his wife. That was a good, sturdy animal that could have been very valuable to us on the farm, and now in a fit of temper you've destroyed it. If I'd have known what a hard-hearted man you were, I would never have married you. And she went on like this for nearly ten minutes. The farmer heard her out until she paused and stopped for breath. That's one, he said. The story goes on that they lived happily ever after. Okay, a terrible example of how relationships might change us. I should have come up with a more positive one. But a relationship in its ideal form, right, it opens us up to the other. And it involves a mutuality, right, a give and take, an influence of one another. And what is the alternative to that, to relationship and to being open to the other? Saying things like, you can't change me. You can't teach me anything. I know already. I have all the answers. When you don't give other people any power in your life, when you block them, Roar says that you're not that far from being spiritually dead. So we are invited to imagine that the beating heart of the universe is not logic or matter or space dust or equations, but relationship. Relationship. The energy in the universe is not simply in the planets or in the protons or in the neutrons, but the relationship between them. It's not in the particles, but the space between them. It's not in the cells of organisms, but in the way that the cells feed and give feedback to one another. And so the universe, like its source, reflects a cosmic mutuality, a flow, if you like, a give and take, a dance. We live in a relational universe. And if that's the case, perhaps sin could be thought of as cutting ourselves off of deciding we're going to go it alone, deciding that we don't need anyone else. In his great book, The Great Divorce, anybody read that by C.S. Lewis, The Great Divorce? is a classic of sorts. And in it, he describes and he pictures hell as people traveling out into space and then deciding, oh, you're actually way too close to me, even if they're like the distance of the moon to Earth. And they say things like, I don't want help, I want to be left alone. And they move farther and farther apart into the distant reaches of the cold, dark universe, wanting to be alone. And that's his picture of hell. Now some of the introverts are like, actually, that sounds pretty good. But even introverts, right, we need others. We need others. And so in that sense, I think in the sense that C.S. Lewis is describing it, hell is a very real thing. But let's not pretend that God is the one creating that reality. It's something we are perfectly capable of creating on our own. And so if sin is going it alone, perhaps salvation can be thought of as relationship, as connection, as community. And so we hear in our text 
and we see the vulnerable giving of God. Perhaps the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. God giving to us. Jesus entering the world in perfect vulnerability. It's almost as if we could see God lying there naked and crying and saying, I need you. Because relationship has to go two ways. In the intro, William Paul Young, author of The Shack, writes a beautiful poem on the Trinity, and I'll use that to close. He speaks of one, of two, and of three. He says, one alone is not by nature love, or laugh, or sing. One alone may be prime mover, unknowable, indivisible, all. And if everything is all, and all is one, one alone, uh, one is alone, self-centered, not love, not laugh, not sing. Two, yin, yang, dark, light, male, female, contending dualism, affirming evil, good, and striving toward balance, at best face-to-face, but never community. Three, face-to-face-to-face, community, ambiguity, mystery, love for the other and for the other's love, within, other-centered, self-giving, loving, singing, laughter, a fourth is created, ever-loved, and loving. And so I love that idea of the circle of three, of mutuality, of a dance. And I love in his poem that he expands it to say a fourth is created. And if there's room for a fourth, there's room for a fifth and a sixth and a seventh into an ever-expanding circle because the heart of the universe is relationship. Amen. Namaste. to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Holland Area Arts Council in downtown Holland. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org. Music